Live from the Business Radio X studio in Atlanta, it's time for Dental Business Radio, brought to you by Practice Quotient. Practice Quotient bridges the gap between the provider and payer communities. Now here's your host, Patrick O'Rourke. Hi there, friends of the dental business community. Welcome to this episode of Dental Business Radio. This is your host, Patrick O'Rourke. I would like to thank our sponsor, Practice Quotient, PPO analysis and negotiation professionals. Uh, If you are a top-tier doc, doctor, oral surgeon, dentist, periodontist, pediatric specialist, endodontist, and you are not getting top-tier compensation by your business partners, i.e. the insurance carriers that you participate with, or perhaps you need new patients, uh, you should think about calling the professionals at Practice Quotient. That's www.practicequotient.com, 470-592-1680. And with that, that brings me to my guest, Hutan Shahidi. How are you, Hutan? Very good, Pat. Thank you. How are you? Oh, I am doing terrific. Thank you very much. I am dressed. I have a tie on. And you got me a mocha frappuccino. Yeah. Yes. God bless Starbucks. You know, when it's three o'clock, right? That's my nap time. I was just talking to John Ray about this. That's when I like to take my naps. But the kids get home from school. And, and so they're 2.45. And I'm not sure how such small individuals make so much racket, but it interferes with my nap and I only need like 10, 15 minutes. So I've had to move my nap up and I didn't get my nap today because I wanted to be here on time for you. You're not going to be grumpy, are you? I just, I can't, no promises. Okay. I take it on on John Ray though, usually, you know, and so don't, don't worry. So who tan, um, you and I, uh, cross paths a couple times. You're in Atlanta, you are in our dental industry niche and Tell me a little bit about how you ended up in our niche. Uh, so uh, in my early 20s, uh, mid-20s, I finished a graduate degree from Emory in health policy and management. Uh, initially, I thought I was going to become a physician, so I wanted to know the management side uh, and also mm-hmm. the policy side, which is dealing with insurance companies. That didn't pan out, so I got into dental kind of by accident, and I started with a really good friend's practice, and I started managing that. And within about four or five years, towards my late 20s, early 30s, I realized there's a real need for medical insurance billing in dental offices, and nobody seems to have a good system to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew it uh, to some extent. Uh, I've obviously gotten better over the years. And so in uh, 2012, I started working with local doctors. Uh, Most of them, frankly, were friends because I just wanted to see, is this going to work, get a proof of concept? Um, How do you move the data securely from office to a server, stuff like that? Uh, And it went well, that trial period. So then I thought to myself, okay, you know, this could possibly be a legitimate business. And uh, it worked out really well. And we quickly spread to, I think we're now at 48 states. So uh, Delaware, uh, if you're listening, I need a client. Uh, so 49, actually. Delaware is the only one. And Vermont, sorry. So those are the only two we're not in. Uh, and it's gone really well. And during that time, because of what medical billing can do for so many offices, that introduced me to, which was at the time, Serona, 
which is now Dents by Serona, and then Patterson and Shine. And so I was able to lecture nationally on medical billing and, and really spread the word about how it could be a helpful way to get your patients to pay for some of the treatment you're doing, um, help you get reimbursed for things that dental insurance doesn't cover, um, and uh, just overall have another layer of tools for case acceptance and being able to actually extend the continuity of healthcare. One of the things that happens oftentimes with medical billing, when a client first starts it, they actually go backwards. As you know, out of network, timely filing is typically a year in reverse. So then what happens is some money comes in and it makes it easier to schedule the patient for future treatment. So mm. uh, that's what I mean by helping to keep the continuity of care. If you can keep, keep getting parts of their expendable income returned to them through medical insurance, it overall makes it easier for them. Mm -hmm. for the patient. So been doing that for, or I did that uh, full time for eight years. I still own code. And then uh, this year, <clears throat> January 1st, I transitioned back into management after my eight year hiatus. And uh, I am the director of clinical operations for Dent First, which is a regional DSO here in the metro Atlanta area. We have 14 offices and uh, that's been fun. I needed a change of scenery and uh, it's been great. So now uh, I'm, I'm on the other side of the spectrum again. Mm -hmm. Did you forget um, what management is like? No, um, because part of that relationship with, particularly with Dents by Serona, uh, there was a big education component. So whether that was the client would purchase a cone beam, and so there had to be some conversation about how to get revenue for that machine, mm -hmm. or if it's... Last week, I did a sleep apnea course uh, for a number of the Dent Spice Rona users. Um, so I've kind of been in it from the aerial view of 40,000 feet, mm -hmm. you know, teaching and talking to doctors and, and being involved in that way. I've handful of times, maybe three, four times a year, I do a private consult. So I'll be in an office and I'll see that. Uh, I knew I was going to come up to this management point. So in 2019, uh, and going in a little bit into 20 before COVID, I started to manage consultant management, basically. So kind of from remotely, and I would fly out to the office, kind of, if you will, uh, you haven't played basketball for 15 years. Mm -hmm. So you're like, you're not sure if you can still dribble or rebound. It was kind of like that since we're in the NBA playoffs. I was thinking that's the best analogy. So I started kind of working back into it. Yeah, they're playing the Knicks tonight. Um, and seeing if I still got it. And uh, I thought I did. The numbers kind of, you know, the numbers don't lie. So, you know, I figured I'm ready. Uh, and then uh, towards the end of 2020, I started looking. Um, and a lot of, a lot of that had to do with COVID, uh, not the virus, obviously, but just everything surrounding. Not as much speaking <coughs> engagements, obviously, because. Well, not as much speaking engagements, but during COVID, I, we had a lot of time to train my team and make them even stronger without me. Um, just, you know, when you're busy and, and business is good, sometimes you forget the details. And, um, you know, one of the details I forgot was, you know, make your team as good, if not better than you. Mm -hmm. That's what you should strive for. That Amen. may never happen, but you should always strive for that. And so I, it was important for me that they didn't lose their jobs. So during that time, no matter what the circumstances were, I kept them employed. Right. And so we kept working on things, systems. Um, luckily, a lot of our clients had, had gone home with essentially their computers. And smartly, the doctor said, hey, listen, whatever claims we have, fire them all off. We need cash. Sure. And so we were actually slammed on that in that sense. I mean, 
ridiculous amount of claims came in April 2020. But aside from that, there were other stuff like pre-auths and things were dropped to zero mm -hmm. at some point. So uh, we had time to develop systems. Then once I realized that they can do really well without me, I was more open to looking for a management position. The other reason why I was open to the management, not that I could have done it, I could have probably done it at any time, was uh, COVID really changed the landscape of dentistry, even in the immediate sense. And unless I'm wrong, which I could be in the long-term sense, in that the DSOs, whether that's 10 offices or 800 offices or anything in between, um, became a lot stronger. Sure. Um, and so it reflected uh, when you looked on LinkedIn or Indeed or other places where there's potential employment, you you saw that. It was clear as day. So I knew I could get a good position with good terms uh, and hopefully be in an environment where I could affect change. And uh, one of the owners at Dent First is a friend of mine. And I actually just reached out to him as help, as a friend. Hey, can you introduce me to your friends kind of thing? And then that's how we started talking and uh, that's how it, it got going. And so since January, I've been there. It's been a great time. It's been a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to the medical billing for, yes, for a moment because sure. I get that uh, get that question a lot, sure. right? And I think probably the first time I met you um, or I, you know, I, I called you. Sometimes folks call me and they're like, Pat, why do you... Um, why are you lacking support of the medical billing, right, arena? And um, I feel like uh, Rod Tidwell and Jerry Maguire, you know, I just, I'm like, show me the money. Um, and I've had some really good conversations with you about that. And I know that you're training folks on how to do it. I know that it can be done. It seems like a lot, it's very labor intensive. So, let me back up my question and let's get specific. Where do you see the the most opportunity? Is it by discipline like oral surgeons or is it by sleep apnea or is it by like, is there a, a treatment mix or a discipline sure. that is like low hanging fruit? Sure. So mainly what we do as a company is we actually do everything. Mm. So we do the benefit check. <clears throat> excuse me, we do the pre-auth, we'll file the claim, we'll follow up. So we're a complete service. Um, training, I don't do that much. I mean, prior to COVID, maybe six to 10 classes a year, but that was still with us supporting. Mm -hmm. um, really just teaching an office how to do it without me, maybe two times a year, three times a year. It was very rare. Um, not because of lack of offers, just because frankly, I was busy and Again, frankly, I had to like you, um, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm, um, I'm with you. That's why I, re I own my own business. No, well, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's funny, but maybe people who are listening that don't have their own business. A long time ago, before code had really picked up, it was maybe in the second or third year, this uh, Patterson rep uh, said to me, dude, you're so, you're so rich, man. And I was like, I was like, what? I'm like, I don't have that much money, man. I don't know what you're thinking. He goes, no, I wasn't talking about the money. You can choose who you want to work with. That's a rich life. And I was like, yeah, okay. If you meant rich in that sense of the word, yeah, I'll agree with that. So mostly what we do is servicing. Now within that context of your question of, you know, who does better, or, you know, where's the money? There's two factors. One is yes, the service mix. These days, a lot of general dentists are doing things that oral surgeons do. So mm -hmm. sure. I won't really go down that line. Um, in regards to you know sleep apnea versus oral surgery, they're both good. 
So then really what it comes down to is how wide is your mix of services? Um, if you're pure, purely oral surgery, then you're kind of missing out on sleep. If you're purely sleep, you're kind of missing out on oral surgery. But let's say you're a GP office and you kind of do those things. Uh, and then from there, if you have a good workflow, and that's the key. Mm -hmm. If you are disciplined on doing it and doing it right, it has tremendous value. Um, if you do it once in a while on an occasional trauma case or an occasional appliance, Probably not as good. Not that you won't have a return. It just, it's not comparable to someone who's focused on it heavy. Um, mm -hmm. So I've had offices that, for example, don't really have that exciting of a service mix, maybe do 800 grand a year, wipe the floor with the $3 million practice because the $3 million practice is so busy making the 3 million mm -hmm. that to add a service like this, it's just in their mind, not worth their time. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's really about just how, how much do you put out and what, what kind of codes do you put out? So if you're putting out a couple claims a day uh, and a couple cone beam claims, trauma once a month, a couple sleep apnea appliances, some implants and sinus lifts, you'll do pretty good if that's on a daily thing. If you're trying to do it once or twice a month, mm -hmm. right? Easy stats, right? If you work 20 days a month, you do two claims, your probability is to get paid <laughs> on 40. If you do two claims in a month, you can't compare. Got, what, so what, what's the ratio of medical claims being paid per every hundred? That then goes into demographics. Generally speaking, if you are in a area with very good employment, you will do really well. So as an extreme example, uh, Chicago, Los Angeles, Seattle, great for medical billing. Um, Seattle is one I always use when I talk about medical billing because I have Google, Amazon, uh, Starbucks, Microsoft. Very Boeing, large corporate employers that, that have, have very rich benefits. Very rich. And so, for example, Boeing uh, has an outright oral surgery rider, covers extraction, bone grafts, membranes, surgical stents, implants, custom abutments on the medical side, no questions asked. It's as easy as billing a cleaning. So that's obviously great. Where if you go into a more rural area, uh, maybe not so much employment, not only do you not see good benefits, you may not even see plans with out-of-network benefits. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's completely out for a dentist. And what little plans there are that do have out-of-network benefits, these deductibles are so high that unless you're doing mass monster cases, it, it goes to your show me the money comment, there won't be anything to show. Mm -hmm. Are most of these folks... Um, in network or out of network with, so, with the medical plan. Interesting. You asked. So, uh, initially when we started eight years ago, I want to say it was like 99% dentists were out of network. It's mm -hmm. probably now down to like 80. Mm -hmm. Um, part of that is there's a number of States that do what's called reciprocating. So the blue cross blue shield of that state, if you're in on the dental side mm -hmm. automatically makes you a network on the medical mm -hmm. side. Yep. Um, some states increased that while during my time. So I think it was May of 2017, Blue Cross Primera of Washington became reciprocating between medical and dental. Um, Tennessee, I think, was January 1st of 2018. Mm -hmm. um, North Carolina has been that way for as long as I could remember. There's a few other states that do that. United Healthcare has completely opened up to dentists. So that's just normal now. You could become an in-network provider. Uh, so it's gone up a lot, um, substantially changed. Uh, I agree. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that'll be a 
a trend that will continue. Uh, but in those cases, the dentists then have their own advantages of being in network. And of course, there's some disadvantages as there always is to being in network. Mm-hmm. One of my concerns is that if you, if you put my client, if you put my, pra- you know, the practice that I'm representing on both medical and dental, and then you start bouncing back and forth between the medical and the dental, right? So it's like, well, on the dental contract, the allowance for an implant is 2000 on when you read the 800 pages and you get down to the formulary and you do the math for the reimbursement for an implant on the medical side is 800. And that's where my concern is, is that when there starts to be repricing between the reciprocal contracts. I haven't seen that much of it outside of certain employer plans and in certain regions, but it's definitely something that we're watching. Um, and so my antenna is up on it and those out there in, in listener land. Um, if you see that, or if you have questions on it, uh, I'm a big data dork. Uh, don't be shy. Uh, feel free to hit me up. Uh, the, you know, the more information, that uh, we have and the better we can educate. And that's the purpose of this show is this is really intellectual capital. Um, So I think that that's really good stuff uh, from the medical side and sleep apnea. So sleep apnea, I had the surgery done back in 2009, Uh, not too far from here uh, in Roswell. I went to had the sleep test, right? I go like the, I call it a hotel. A medical Marriott. All right. A medical Marriott. Right. And they strapped all these wires to me. You look like Vader. All right. Yeah. And then I, you know, I slept and I thought it was a great night's sleep. The next morning I woke up and I was like, oh, that was good. And they're like, um, you woke up like 137 times. Right. Four, and it was like 400 something. <laughs> oh yeah. It was crazy. You know? And, uh, they're like, you got 4% REM sleep you're you have problems bud and i'm like in at the time i I could tell you like i fell asleep if and i i still like naps don't get me wrong um i would fall asleep driving i would fall asleep in a dentist chair i fall asleep in a barbershop but i would fall asleep like that after that surgery changed my life and now you only nap for 10 minutes at 3 p.m right i like it and and so it's one of the things where the so I've studied it. So there's empirical evidence that demonstrates that this reduces the chronic conditions, heart disease, diabetes, et cetera. I mean, this, this is, a, it's a big, this can, it won't be the only thing to bend the healthcare cost curve, but it's a big deal. Right. Um, and so why everybody, why it's not more, well, why we're not trying to get everybody funneled into this, the sleep test is beyond me. And to me, it's a, the rare win-win between the payer community. All right. We want to keep our long-term, I still say we sometimes, we want to keep our long-term costs down, right? The uh, provider community looking for new services and they, you know, their doctors they actually th- want to help their patients. That's what they do. First of all, first and foremost, and obviously for the patients. So this is a win all the way around. And so, and I have many clients that go do the sleep apnea courses, but then you know, I'm like, talk to me in six months. And I talked to them and they're like, meh, you know, we did like one or two. Okay. And so I don't know if that's their own execution because I'm not there. I don't know. And we have, we have some clients that are very successful with it. And so it probably comes down to execution, but you know more about it than I do. So what's your take? 
It is the execution. Uh, it's the same thing with <clears throat> medical billing. It's actually the same thing with everything in dentistry. The Like an office, let's say, commits, goes to a surgical course, learns, learns to place implants. <clears throat> Do you come back and you immediately implement that CE and you start looking for your first partially dentalist cases? You start working on that first surgical guide. You talk to some colleagues, you get prepared, you do your first case, you build on that, you go to a second case, third case, fourth case, or do you come back from that CE and you lag a little bit, takes you two, three weeks to order your motor, takes you five more weeks to get your implant, you know, you take two months to identify your first case, then by then it's it's gone, right? Mm -hmm. um, that makes sense. One of the things that we always do in our uh, sleep apnea courses that we teach uh, myself and Dr. Agarwal is, yeah, we've given you this two days of CE. You know, if you don't have any cases lined up, here's where your first five or 10 are coming from. Uh, reach out to your close family members or to your team, team uh, members or your team members, immediate family members, have them come in. I recommend maybe even do it for free because the lab bill is only five, 600 bucks. If that's an issue for you, maybe just charge the lab bill. Take your time, work through those first five, six patients, let them know it's almost like a classroom environment. Hey, normally this appliance is $3,000, but for you, we'll do it for 500, but it's going to be like kind of like a classroom environment and then kind of work through your whole protocol. So if this was not my assistant's father, you know, pretend they weren't, mm -hmm. how do we walk through it? What do we ask on the medical history? Once they come in, what are we looking on the, for on the intraoral exam, the extraoral exam? <clears throat> Once we have identified all that, let's make the appliance. Did we do that part right? Depending on whether you're digital or you're still using impressions. Then once the appliance comes back, deliver it, titrate it a couple times. Once you've got five to 10 maybe under your belt, then you unleash on your practice. and right. Crawl, again, walk, run. And then again, you stick with it. Um, it's got to be rehearsed. Uh, it's the same thing with, let's say, offices who get CEREC. Why do some do 50, 60 crowns and inlays and onlays with it. And some struggle to get to 10, probably execution and training and education and, and devotion to it. Um, anything you want to do in your practice, or even if you don't have a dental practice, your business, it, you have to stay on top of it. It mm -hmm. can't just, it won't magically come to fruition on its own. It's really every business, every yeah. business it has nothing to do with thing. dental practice. Yeah, focus on keep doing what works, keep doing more of that and less of what don't. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, and <laughs> well done. In corporate America, it's there's always some initiative, and you're like, yeah, I'll see if that's going to be around in six months. Um, it's uh, when you know, it's, when you own your own business, you know, you can get behind it and push it full force if it's something that you believe in. But if you're not on board with it as a leader, if you're not modeling that behavior, then it's not going to. Then not nobody else is going to hop on the happy bus on their own. You right. know, yeah, that totally makes sense to me. Um, so I think she, <laughs> the advice though that I hear like in my head, I'm like, so in the, the appliance that you're talking about, are we talking about one of the, um, you mold it and then it opens up the airway. Or are we talking about one of those Darth Vader masks? Uh, it wouldn't be a Darth Vader mask. It's what's called a mandibular advancement device. Mm -hmm. So it typically fits, uh, over the upper and lower arch has some kind of hinging mechanism, a lot of them have a hinging mechanism in the posterior that basically pushes your mandible, depending on your anatomy, 
uh, several millimeters forward. And so that little bit of that mandibular advancement is essentially what pulls your airway forward, if you will, and allows you to have a wider airway. So essentially more air is going in from, on a very layman term explanation. So <clears throat> does an appliance work on everyone? No. There's about 20%, 30%, depending on what research you read, of people it just doesn't work on due to anatomy issues, due to compliance issues. Um, but having said that, if you I. can't... I.e., that means you're overweight and don't use it for our no. audience members. No, 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 no. Anatomical has nothing to do with weight. It could be it could be your skeletal st structure. Oh, yeah. So not weight-related necessarily. So I can eat more ice cream? I'll be fine. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, yeah, you could, you could have more uh, mocha frappuccinos from Starbucks. Um <laughs> so aside from that, though, for, you know, if you think about it, since you know this really well, if you are CPAP intolerant, you only have three options. Um, one is going to be to get surgery, and that's tough. Uh, one of them is to do nothing, and that's really not good for you, your family, or the insurance company. Um, and then your other option is appliance. And generally, the appliance uh, protocol uh, of keeping compliant is a lot easier. Mm -hmm. You don't have a vacuum pumping air through a mask into your face. Yeah. You know what? I was not given option number three there, I have to say. So they brought me that next morning into a room with all these Darth Vader masks and they're like, pick which one. This is uh, the XJ5000. And I said, buddy, I I'm not wearing any of this. They're like, don't you want to try one on? And I said, no, uh-uh. I'm not wearing any of the, like, I'm, I don't know, kind of who I am, right? Uh, I'm very direct. I'm polite. I'm direct. I said, let's, let's not waste our time here. I'm not wearing it. What else you got? And they were like, well, then you're going to have to have surgery. And I said, all right, schedule it. And that's what I did. And, um, I will say that, uh, it hurt a lot more than I thought it would. Um, but they, uh, this is back in 09. I was still, you know, I think, you know, early thirties and, you know, they said, well, if you don't get it now, you know, you don't want to wait. And so I did it. Um, yeah, two weeks of, uh, you know, eating through a straw, but my energy level, I, it's, it's really hard to put into words when I say it changed my life. Like it definitely changed my life. Um, but I still think that I know people that have had the surgery and are still using a CPAP and or the mouth appliances. Um, and because opening up that airway and keeping the oxygen flow is key to your body, water, oxygen, right? It's, it's it, we don't all have to be experts. So those of you that are listening, that's the key. And some of, uh, some of you probably have a spouse that's over there. It's now sounds like a bear, right. And, you know, and it's keeping you awake. Um, they, that's sleep apnea, dude. As, ch as children of the eighties, uh, <clears throat> you could thank uh, Mr. Miyagi for making such a big deal about breathing. It's actually really true. Mm. <laughs> you know, whenever Daniel would get in trouble, you just be like, breathe. I do that with my kids. Yeah. Just, just breathe. Right. I do it with my daughter too. Like when it's getting too crazy, just can you stop but, for a second? Deep but, breath. But, but, yes. but I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Deep breath, deep breath. Yeah, it really does make a difference. Um, uh, from a public health standpoint, um, the unfortunate side of it is for the foreseeable future, it's going to get worse <clears throat> simply because uh, children's, children and adults, both in the United States, there's no data indicating becoming any thinner. Um, it's actually worse. The obesity rates are going up. So obesity and obstructive sleep apnea have you a high- You should see my shocked face. Oh, you can. Have a high correlation. Uh, so until we kind of get that, that's a major one because the, the weight factor and OSA tie together so well. So 
Um, I was born in 1980. Uh, Nintendo came out in 85. And even then, it was so kind of new. That and Atari right before that. You know, parents weren't really... Uh, it wasn't to the extent it is now where you know you have all these surround sound... Uh, uh, Sound yeah, system yeah, you and, should and see sixty-five what my, inch what flat my screen son has right. Yes, you know I you know. had a kind of crappy tube TV and you know so and that was the coolest thing ever. Yes, yeah, so Mike Tyson's punch out. I can beat it to this day right now. I can. I think if you gave it to me cold right now, I could beat Super Contra still in under fifteen minutes every level. Yeah, you do up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B A B A selection. That's the only way I could get it under fifteen minutes. Yeah. Otherwise, if I played it real, it would take forever. Um, so. I, I think I roughly it's me or right after me is the last, uh, I guess, generation or cohort where your parents said, hey, listen, um, I don't want to see you before 8.39 p.m. when the sun goes down. So you've had enough Nintendo here for these 30 minutes. Get up, mm -hmm. get on your bike, go, you know, and believe it or not, it really did make a difference. Um, now it's like when you're six years old, 10 years old, whatever, your parents yeah, unfortunately, might just be like, oh, well, you know, I'll take you to the park tomorrow. Can you just play on your tablet right, right now? And, and everybody else is staring at their phone and a Facebook. And this is, to me, the parent, the generational challenge that we all have as parents. It's my biggest challenge. Uh, I've been working on it for, for years. I know this is Dental Business Radio. Um, but yeah, and so... I'm, I'm like explaining the power of habit book to my, to my son. And I'm like, what are your goals? Right. And so is your goal to sit on the couch and eat Cheez-Its and dominate at Fortnite? And he's like, well, that sounds like a lot of fun. And I'm like, all right, let's back that up. <laughs> you know, now you want to be a football player. You want to be good at football. You want to be good at basketball, right? You got to run your conditioning. Guess what? You're not going to be able to run up and down a court if you can't run around the block. And so it's, I try to tie everything into that, but it takes a lot of energy because it's just so easy because it's just an easy babysitter. Right. Um, but I think that that's a mistake in that we, I'm speaking for myself. I've made a conscious decision within the past several years that I am going to make a concentrated and focused effort to model the behavior so that, you know, he's just not a video game junkie and you have the best and the brightest minds in the world trying to keep people's eyes glued to those screens. Adults too. Just yeah, the same yeah. thing, you know? Yeah, no, it's a, it's an issue. I mean, um, because the same foods that are increasing that weight <clears throat> are also not good for our teeth. Um, obviously high sugars, simple sugars, things like that. So there is that dental component to it. Um, that it all, it really all does tie together. You know, the oral cavity is the entryway to the digestive system. If you look at ICD-10 coding, all of the diagnosis, not all, but a lot of the diagnosis codes that we use for medical billing, mm -hmm. they start in the digestive system under that part of the, under that chapter, under the oral cavity. And cause that's the entryway. So kind of starts there. And then once it goes in, that's kind of where a lot of the issues can start really. I have a theory that what, as I've seen, you know, a hundred studies, I mean, I can give the speech on, Hey, oral health and ties to your overall health. I've given the speech a hundred times. Um, when I, I worked at Humana and, you know, I've thought, I talked to Mark Cooper about this. Um, uh, Mark Cooper, if you're listening, hello, um, wise guy, love him, uh, respect a lot. And, and so, but I have a theory and I don't have any empirical evidence. This is just 
Pat Spewin, um, that whenever you see that, hey, periodontal disease is present in somebody with diabetes or somebody with other overarching health conditions, it is likely because they were not taking care of themselves overall. This is my theory. I have zero empirical evidence, but that's what I think that if we're looking at somebody who is not exercising, they're not eating right, they're probably not flossing and brushing their teeth. Now, all of the other stuff probably causes the periodontal inflammation to get worse, you know, but the periodontal inflammation is just one side effect of the overall lifestyle. Does that make sense? Absolutely makes sense. Am I crazy? No, I don't think you're crazy at all. I mean, I've gone so crazy with that that you know, <laughs> to since we're using non-evidence proof based. Uh, Let's just make some shit up here. Well, uh, this isn't totally made up by me. I'm stealing it from a periodontist. But what's one thing that people who do play basketball, like you're you're talking about your son, or play football, or out running constantly? I actually play basketball too. I okay. Uh, what what's one typical thing that you end up doing right during? especially if you play outdoor basketball, you consume tons of water. Don't Ton you? of water. Believe it or not, that little habit alone has an impact because if you're home, you know, you might reach for some kind of juice drink. You might reach for some kind of Coke. You drink that juice drink, which has a lot of citric acid possibly, or you have Coke and that has its own acids and sugars. And then you kind of sit around, you don't really drink water. You know, hopefully before you go to bed, you floss and brush and whatever. But when you're actually out doing sports, you're just drinking pure water a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Now, you might do a Gatorade, but <clears throat> maybe, maybe. Yeah. But most people do water. Even that has its own effect. Mm-hmm. You know, not only on your mouth, but your kidneys and everything else that, that you use water for, kind of flushing your system out. So I'm with you on that. Gotcha. You know what John Ray drinks? Moonshine. I say he does all day. It's, it's funny you say that. I actually have a bottle of moonshine at my house that a friend left. So if you really do, I'll bring it over to you because I'm afraid to open it. Uh, he got it somewhere in South Carolina and uh, for, God, eight, nine years it's been sitting in my house. Yeah, you're lucky you didn't say it was in your car. He'd be gone. <laughs> <laughs> you'd have a broken window. Um, and I also like water. You know what I like? I like San Pellegrino. I've mentioned it on the show that I really enjoy drinking San Pellegrino when I'm on the show. I, I should have taken a photo of you right there because you look, it's very commercial. I'm going to do right. it right now. Yeah, do it. We'll tweet it out to them. That's very commercial. We should do some Instagram thing. <laughs> I do enjoy the San Pellegrino and drink it all the time. Stone, one of uh, uh, John Ray's colleagues, is always like, oh, look at you, Mr. Fancy Water. I'm like, it's just water, bud. Um, but I do enjoy San Pellegrino. This is my treat, my afternoon treat. Uh, so San Pellegrino, if you would like to um, send me some free San Pellegrino or even talk about perhaps being a my sponsor on the show... Um, you got to talk to John Ray, J Ray at businessradiox.com. So now speaking of business, do we want to transition into business? Oh yeah. Uh, business. Sorry. It's Friday afternoon. And so let's to go to Dent first. Okay. Right. So Dent first, we have a big regional player. All right. Now you're going in there. What's, what's the immediate fire? There was no fire. Um, they, uh, when I, they're about their 40th year. So 39th year uh, upon my entry. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't a fire, very healthy business. You know, they've done really well for themselves. It was more 
making that leap into, you know, 2022, not even 2021 being ahead of the curve. Um, so for example, one goal for me is to make sure that every single of the 14 locations, Mm -hmm. there's one dentist in each location who could handle straightforward implant cases. Makes sense. So getting those doctors to the right courses, then getting the right equipment, uh, getting the right surgical equipment, uh, getting them everything they need to execute that. And, and again, for the point of, I guess, the motif of this uh, conversation between you and I staying on top of it. Um, <clears throat> so what that means is not only did I take them to the, not only did I find a class for them, I physically went with the doctors and mm-hmm. I was there. When they came back, I talked to all of their uh, office managers. We went through some training pra- or practices and training on how to do the coding right. You know, how do you sell the treatment? How do you present it? The first case uh, post the course we did uh, last Tuesday evening, two mm-hmm. weeks before it, I physically went and got the comb beam and the STL file, which is the scan of their teeth. And then I sent it to the lab. I verified the case. Not that I'm a doctor, but just to expedite the process. Of course, the approval was still done by the doctor, but I went to his office. I showed him the video. When we did the first implant, I had the surgical team uh, from BioHorizons come and assist. I had other doctors come, watch. So, you know, really affecting that change and being really on top of it. Um, and I don't mean the change just in your business, but I mean change in, in human form, like change in a person that getting these doctors one of our doctors, for example, who has become a great friend, um, he called me before we went to the first part of the course. Um, the course is uh, the digital implant continuum done by 3D dentists led by Dr. Tarun Agarwal T-Bone. And uh, he's a good friend of mine. And most people know I, I teach at 3D dentists as well, full disclosure. So we went over there. Well, with a name like T-Bone, he's got to be a good dude. He's a great I dude. I have to say. Um, so, you know, he called me about a week or two before that we left. And he's like, man, I don't know if I could even find five implants in the next few months. And I was like, I'm going to have to guess you're wrong, but okay, buddy, no problem. Um, and now he's like a different person. He's probably treatment planned probably over 50 implants now. I think the first two or three, four are going to be in the next few weeks. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one lady, when we came back from the chorus, he goes, Hey, you know, you've had this tooth missing for a while. Do you you want me to address it? I could do an implant. She goes, Oh my God. You know, I, I was, I never wanted to leave you. So all these time, all these years, you referred me to a specialist. I didn't go because I, I just want you to do it. Uh huh. That's for a him. Great that story. was shocking. He was like, you know, he's such a humble person. Like he, in his own mind, he didn't think somebody, you know, would want him that bad to some extent, which is ridiculous because he's an unbelievable, unbelievable guy. He's a fantastic clinician and just a great human being. So that change, you know, now if you talk to anybody who's around him, particularly his the that his assistants or the practice ministry works is like, this guy's like not even the same dude. That change that occurred in him affecting that change in a person, a human, whatever you want to call it. That's the hard part. Um, that's a fulfilling part though, right? I could see it. I'm watching your face. Yeah. Yeah, You're into it. it. Oh, it was fun. It was, it was great. So, um, yeah. So how, you know, that's what we're, we're trying to do. Uh, aside from that, a couple other things I was mandated to do. One was to, um, you know, cause it was post COVID one was to find as many doctors as we could to reach capacity because it's a DSO. So we're open Monday through Thursday, 8am to 8pm. 
uh, Friday, nine to six. So that's a lot of hours. Some of our offices have eight to 14 chairs. So I've got a lot of room. Yeah, that's big. And Saturdays, uh, eight to 12 or nine to one. So right when I got in, that went pretty well. Um, and uh, got some good doctors and there's more coming that are starting in June and July. Uh, and then kind of where we hit a snag was, uh, which is about to end, and I'll explain why, uh, was in regards to hygienists, uh, front office people, and assistants. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I'd like to discuss this, actually. Yeah, yeah one of the things I, and I still don't fully understand, to be honest with you, um, in terms of, you know, code, you know, me being the owner of that company in 2020, we have, you know, we're a franchise in terms of being in California and having an office in Georgia. In both of those states, on both of the unemployment forms, it's clearly indicated, are you open or working? And if you are, are you, is, is this employee refusing to return to work? Now, in my case, that was not, there was no one that was like that. So I never marked, yes, there's someone refusing to work. Had I done it, it would have immediately suspended their benefits. Mm. They would have not gotten any state benefits. So the number of people I've heard who go, oh, well, they're, you know, these people get all this money for staying home. What? I mean, unless you're an idiot and you filed the paperwork wrong or you're committing fraud by saying, no, this person you know, was available and I fired them, which is not true, possibly. I don't understand how that even exists, but fine. Okay, I'll play that game. Let's just say you are getting six, $700 from you know, state or federal stay home, another $400, whatever, basically comes out to $1,000. Make a long story short, when Brian Kemp, uh, our governor, cut off their benefits, at least from the state side, um, uh, a couple weeks ago, the increase in available assistance and hygienists just on one platform, which is Indeed, has gone up on astronomical scales. I mean, unbelievable numbers. Mm. Um, I was looking for a hygienist in a certain part of Atlanta in a hundred mile radius. I found four hygienists. Two weeks later, I searched not a hundred mile radius, a 25 mile radius. There was 27 hygienists. Mm-hmm. In one of our offices, I looked for assistants. In a hundred mile radius, I found eight assistants. In a hundred mile radius, just uh, yesterday, there were 77. So, uh, that's all coming to an end. So regardless of what it was they were getting, let's say they weren't getting even the state. The federal part is going to end. Is it September? I believe it is. So uh, uh, it's going to get. They don't send me any money, Hutan. They don't me either. And, so. and I've kept all my team. So yeah. So that uh, that was a hard part. So I had to deal with that in January, February, March, April. Um, part, and what I mean by that is like, you know, I'd hire a doctor. They're amazing. You know, that one doctor needs two or three assistants. Just plugging that was hard. Mm. Now where a DSO has an advantage over a private practice is overall, I have a couple hundred employees so I can move some pieces around. Mm-hmm. So, Hey, you know what? Let's get that assistant. Who's over at that office. They're not that busy on Thursday. Have him drive to this sure. location, you know, and kind of just mix and match the pieces to make it work. And it's worked. Um, but now I think we're, we're, I'm excited for the time we're entering now because things are starting to get back to normal. Knock and on what? I'm Irish superstitious a little bit. Yeah. So uh, the employment factor, I think, is going to get a lot better. I don't know if other cities or states are seeing it, but they are. because I'm on Indeed on a 
not daily basis, but at least several times a week for various reasons. It's just unbelievable. Last Monday, <clears throat> this last Monday, I uh, started my morning just with my coffee doing a search. And you know, on Indeed, you could see when they posted their resume or altered it. So like you'll see their name and then under their name, it'll say like updated May 25th or posted May 23rd or something. I mean, there was just dozens and dozens and dozens of assistants and hygienists who had all posted Saturday, Sunday. Really? Mm -hmm. Well, that's good news for the labor shortage. The labor shortage is real. So the carriers are experiencing the same thing. Um, This is a labor shortage across um, the industries. And so specifically to the payer and provider communities, the second biggest complaint I hear from clients, uh, which are the practices, is that they're having a hard time. Uh, Not just associates, but you know, uh, insurance coordinators, really experienced practice administrators. And, you know, I would argue that there's always been a, um, shallow talent pool of folks that actually understand deeply the insurance world in as somebody from the insurance world. If I had a dollar for every time somebody said, I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm like, really? Yeah. So, so, by the way, whenever I, I was saying this to a coworker recently, whenever somebody says I've been doing this for eight years, or I've been doing this for 33 years or whatever, you know, you've got them, you know, that it's not going to go well. You should already consider ending the relationship. I have not one time. This, in my is, life, this is, this is true. Yes. Anytime somebody has said to me like, Oh, well, you know, I've been doing that for 15 years. Oh God. Oh, no. uh, I'm like, hey, I've been driving a car for 20 years too. doesn't mean I can pull the transmission out and put it back in. Yeah, you know, uh, correctly. So um, so to be fair to um you know some employees genuinely had family issues, you know, kids were not did not have an ability to go to school. There's really circumstances I could understand where you know it, it maybe yeah. truly We're not making judgment here. This no, I'm is, not. Yeah, it's just this is about business and labor. In order to have your business go, you need labor. But the labor shortage part of it's real. And then the carriers are doing the same thing. So I was talking to a major carrier earlier this week and they're like, we're trying to hire 12 PR, you know, PR people. Do you know anybody? And there's not any of them. And that's a really specific skill set. And so I'm actually doing a, a webinar for the American Association of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgeons next Wednesday. So if you're an oral surgeon and you're a member of Amos, 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 not talking about cookies. We're talking about dental implants. They all pronounce it differently. Don't tell anybody. But I forgot to give a shout out last week to Kelly Zach, because I had Karen Wittich of AMS on the program. And uh, I, I was sure to mention all the people that have helped. And Kelly Zach is so patient with me. She is the wind beneath my wings. Thank you, Kelly Zach. I appreciate you. You do a terrific job. Now with that, what she, Kelly is helping me with, or what we're doing is a, a educational piece on the, what are the top three trends in the dental insurance or in world that's going to affect income to the OMS or the, you know, oral surgeon provider community. Number one, labor shortage, right? And part of, you know, your feedback from you, um, I'm incorporating. And so thank you for that. In fact, I'm going to footnote Hutan Shahidi. You'll be, you'll, you'll be more famous from this than you will be from that. Trust me. Um, not that you're not already famous. Um, number two, fee reductions. 
Um, I'm not going to go into that today. And then the third thing is carrier dominance. Those are the three things. Now there's multiple other legislative issues or not necessarily issues. There's positive and negative things. So it could be that I'll, I'll touch on, but those are the three biggest things in labor shortage right now by far, because all of the insurance companies, their credentialing's backed up. The claims are getting paid wrong. Uh, it, yeah. And, and there's nobody to call. Yeah. Uh, I, I was going to say this to, to be fair. Um, <clears throat> while there are those individuals who maybe rightfully are staying home and earning unemployment or wrongfully uh, for the wrong reasons, staying home. One of the, one of the things that I, I am on their side about employees, especially cause I was one, I was a dental office manager. <clears throat> one of the reasons I myself got out of management in dental, this is, you know, again, in the early, you know, 2010, 11 was there was a couple of realizations I came to, even though the practice I was at was my best friend's practice and still is my best friend. I love him is that there's a, there's a ceiling and you could hit it quick. So mm. if you are an assistant in a private practice, what's your growth? That's it, right? I don't know. If you are a hygienist in a private practice, what's your growth? If you're an office manager in a private practice, what's your growth? And I mean, really for your career, I'm not talking about, you know, you're making 40 grand. Hopefully you go to 45. Hopefully you go to 50. I'm not, not referring to that, but even that has a ceiling. So at the time when, you know, I was a pretty good office manager, I really only had a couple options. One of them was to open up my own business, which is what I did. Or the other one was to become some kind of regional manager for a DSO and mm -hmm. possibly make a little bit more money, work really hard. And while the pay at that time back then was just outrageous, for example, most DSOs back then, if you were managing 10 offices, which meant you were managing uh, about $14 million, you were only getting paid about 70 grand, which you would have to be out of your mind in Los, and I, this was back in Los Angeles, to sit in that kind of traffic alone is not worth it for 70 grand. Um, maybe with bonuses and stuff, maybe about a hundred grand, by the way, a hundred grand in Los Angeles is the equivalent of like 20 grand in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. It's really that. And the traffic is worse, and which really, is the only place you could say that it's really, it's really that bad. So what I'm trying to get at is, you know, where dentistry had its reckoning with COVID and part of this is the employer side, not the employee side, the employer side fault is, you know, all these years where, you know, you got away paying the assistant, maybe a little bit less than you should have, or paying your office manager a bit less than you should have having a thin team where maybe instead of having three people up in the front, you had two, maybe instead of four assistants in the back, you had two or three, all that came to haunt you. And it came hard and mm. you probably weren't ready for it. Um, for those that have struggled <clears throat> from the code side, never in the history of my company, have we had as many transfers of accounts as we have this year. And what I mean by transfer is a DSO multiple, I'm not going to say any of their names had purchased the office, mm -hmm. picked up the accounts payable. So they sent their kind of like vendor form, if you will. Mm -hmm. So we could get the check from that corporate. I mean, never in all the eight years total, it didn't, all the eight years total I've had the company was nothing compared to January and April alone of this year. I agree. Is how many I, transferred. I, I agree with you there. Our, and it's so now a little bit different, but. All uh, clients, of, a, lot, a lot of these clients might now work for this DSO right. that purchased them. It so calls every day, right? They're like, uh, yeah, we sold to X. So where the, where the DSO model, I guess, shines a little bit is that, you know, I'm not saying that the hourly pay is necessarily more in the DSO world, but 
<clears throat> a lot of DSOs do have uh, health care. They do have a 401k. They do have paid vacation. They do have, um, uh, some of them have childcare reimbursements. Some of them have. Do they have free dental? Some of them have, yeah, free dental as well. Um, they can be one of the first cases. Right. Like Dr. Rookie no, no, right, breaks right, right, out right. the scalpel. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm just playing. No, no, yeah, but there is. But free benefits dental. are huge. So it's. At my organization, we're a small company. I can't poach from the insurance world. Not that I would, because I love everybody in the insurance world. Um, but I can't compete with a Fortune 50, Fortune 100 benefits package, right? You just no. can't, because you don't have enough to pool. Um, but So benefits are huge. Medical yeah. insurance is huge. A, a little <clears throat> five-man practice, like, I'm in the insurance world, and I'm telling you that I probably still, my... I pay more in premiums and I have group health for our company than I pay for my mortgage. Yeah. And I know exactly what I'm doing. And, and yeah. it's not like I have a Cadillac plan. You know what I mean? Um, when you are a five practice, five person dental practice. Right. So then you gotta, you really, in those situations, you've got to ask yourself if you're in that situation, you're listening, how are you different than your competitor? You know, what is it that makes you stand out that if I'm a good assistant or a good hygienist or a good office manager, why would I choose you? What is it about your environment that makes me happy? Um, and part of that could be just very straight up. Uh, you know, you pay a little bit more than most places. Maybe you have better hours. Uh, you're more understanding to their children's schedule. Um whatever it might be, but you, we, you definitely got to get creative. And one of the things I found in the DSO world, and it's easy for me to say, obviously with, with having the advantage of so many chairs and, and uh, practices is we, I could be quite creative. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know what? Monday mornings you are taking Monday and Wednesday mornings. You have a chemistry class. No problem. Don't worry about the nine to five shift. You could have the 12 to eight shift. You know, I, there's things I can, you know, I can move things around. I have more pieces to the puzzle, if you will. Um, and most importantly, one of the things I'm trying to do also, these are added layers. Like I said, when I got there, the mandate was fill up the offices, you know, with doctors and take us to 2021, 2022. Obviously, as I got there, there was more things I started to pick up and work on. And one of the other things too is that, you know, how do I create an environment where if you come in low level, you know, kind of like, if you will, the 1950s America. I'm a dishwasher at McDonald's. 30 years later, I own six McDonald's. Like, mm. how could I create that? And one of them is to actually promote internally uh, that, hey, listen, if you start as a, we kind of have it tiered. So we have what's called a PSR. Um, that's basically a front office person. So, you know, can you go through that? And if you do really well there, can you move to benefits coordinator, do really well there? And then can you become a treatment coordinator? Can you become a PA? Maybe then we can move you to corporate and you can manage some of the PA. So, for example, last Friday, we promoted a phenomenal assistant. He's an incredible, incredible gentleman to basically he's the director of all the assistants now. And so came with that. You a lot want to give him a shout out? Mark Moss. Mark, Mark Moss, Moss Jr. Rock and uh, roll, bud. Uh, he's awesome, and he's going to be a big help to us. But uh, with his promotion, granted, there came more responsibility, but he also got a pay increase. And you know, now I have kind of a future set out for him of what I think he could do to help us. And so there's a lot of growth there. And so if the whole company knows that and they know there's something to strive towards, I think that will create more productivity in my mind. Whereas in some practices, whether it's DSO or private practice, if the person who's working there feels like they're already at the ceiling, how much more can you expect? It's like communism. 
you're going to get paid roughly the same, no matter what, uh, you're gonna have the same responsibility, same demands. I mean, I, I could not agree with you more. I, I would stand up and applaud. Um, and because what you're talking about though, is really specific to your organization. You know, I think that sometimes people are like DSS, like DSS are all the same. I could tell you that they're, they're all different. Insurance carriers are all different too. Every organization is different. Every organization has its own culture and its own priorities. But the one thing about people, me, you, even John Ray over there, all right, we need to have purpose. It needs, right? It, we need to be working towards something and, and feel like it matters in order to put your best effort in all of your kind of intellectual capital and your heart into something. I firmly believe that. I don't think people just go, you know, maybe some, there's always lunch pailers, right? So I call them, you know, I've been managing people for a long time. Um, lunchbox, right? They come in, you know, they punch a clock, they bring the lunchbox, they do just enough not to get fired and that's it. And then they go home with their kids and they're cool with that. Right. And I understand that those folks are out there right? and I have no problem with that. Me personally, that's not my mentality. I, I, I can't, it's not, I understand that they're there, but I, that's just not how I'm built. Right. So I, I, but I can only do something that I believe in. Right. And I'm a little old fashioned that way, much to the chagrin of like my wife, you know, there's a reason why I'm not in corporate America, for example. And, and I don't know why that is called old fashioned. Um, it giving be, giving right? a person a sense of purpose, I don't see why that would not be timeless. Um, one of the things that had a big impact on me, and I guess I was just lucky to be there that day, was my brother's 10 years older than me. So when I was uh, 16, he was 26. He was graduating graduate school. At his graduation commencement, they had various honorary PhDs that spoke first. Um, do you listen to jazz? Mm -hmm. One of them was Wynton Marsalis, which at the time was amazing because I was playing trumpet when I was in high school and I was like blown away <laughs> and I didn't even know. Uh, I didn't know Wynton Marsalis was going to be there. So that was super cool. The other speaker was at the time the CEO of Lego mm -hmm. and he came up with his awesome German accent and um, he started at Lego as a janitor when he was 18 years old and he has no education, but through his dedication and hard work and how Lego is set up at a corporation, he's now the chief executive, or at that time in 96, he was the chief executive officer. Think about how hard that guy worked to make that of himself. Think about what kind of employee he must have been that somebody was like, hey, stop cleaning up the boxes in the break room. We'll give you something else to do. And he killed it. And they gave him another thing. He killed it. And he got better and stronger and better. And got to the point that he ran one of the most famous companies on the planet. Right? Mm -hmm. How many kids in, God, what, 80, 90, 100 countries Lego sells in? Um, it's one of the few th products that sort of goes across boundaries. Right? Any kid could play with Legos. Mm -hmm. um, Concur. So, yeah. I mean... That's that's a great way to run a company, and I know uh, I know sometimes in the U.S. we're all about well, did we profit in Q3? If we didn't, we got to fire people. You know, uh, yeah, let's, yeah. let's you know what, no, uh, you know, not, yeah, not, not not everybody, but I think that the value of having somebody come in there and train and the loyalty that probably was around or at least perceived to be around. Um, isn't as prevalent 
I'm a big believer in it personally. You know, my people, I, I don't, I very, we're very slow to hire. You when you hire, I don't bring you in to see you leave. Right. And we'll train you and we'll teach you and we'll give you whatever path you want to do, you know, but it's, it takes, you're investing your time into that person. So you want to, you know, your first thing is when you're interviewing is where do you want to go? Like, what are you trying to do? Because if they're not going to be happy there, it, then if you're kicking the dog every day you leave to go to work, ah, I hate this job. Why are you doing it? You know? And so I, I think it's awesome what you're doing there. And I think Try. the message here, the takeaway for the listeners here is for the business owners and the leaders, take an objective look at your own business and say, do the people there feel like they're at their ceiling? Do they want to be there? Are they contributing? Do they buy in? Shit, do you buy in? You know? That's, I think, our message for the day. Uh, Hutan, if people want to reach you, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, my email address, uh, either one is fine. Um, <clears throat> whether it's at Code or Dent First, um, I'll give uh, uh, my, uh, I'll give the easiest one. So Hutan, it's H O O. T is in Tom, A is in Apple, N is in Nancy. So Hutan at Code Claims, that's plural.com. So H O O T A N at C O D E C L A I M S dot com. Very good. Hutan, always a pleasure. Thanks, this Pat. is terrific. We'll have to do this again. I would also like to thank our sponsor. Practice Quotient, PPO Analysis and Negotiation is a national firm. They are based in Atlanta, Georgia staffed with veteran professionals and they help pro top tier providers receive top tier compensation compensation uh practice quotient is going to fire me as the sponsor um well i'll have to talk to the ceo he's kind of a mean guy sometimes and gets on my nerves um but at any rate, you should call the practice quotient if, if you feel like your reimbursements are not very good. If you're getting paid 50 cents or less on the dollar, you might as well put yourself on Groupon every day and say, hey, we're half off. Come on in. Um, <laughs> all right. By the way, I'm not endorsing Groupon. Okay. Like I have no, I'm neutral. I'm just trying to make a point. You know, every time I say that publicly, somebody from Texas jumps out of their chair and they're like, that's fee splitting, son. I'm like, hey, calm down, Texas. I'm not your attorney. I'm not your even marketing guy. I'm trying to make a financial point. Um, so with that, until next time, Hutan Shahidi, thank you so much. Thank you, Patrick. My pleasure. Until next time.